August 12th. Today, as we look into the New Testament, we'll be reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. We'll see that marriage is a challenge. Now, Paul does not deny the blessings of marriage, but he does remind us of the burdens that marriage can bring, especially when times are tough. Building a Christian home is a great ministry, but nobody should enter into it lightly or carelessly. It's been said that success in marriage involves much more than finding the right mate. It also requires being the right mate. And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. August 12th, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. Now, about the young women who are not yet married, I, Paul, do not have a command from the Lord for them. But the Lord in His kindness has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain just as you are. If you have a wife, do not end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, I am trying to spare you the extra problems that come with marriage. Now let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So husbands should not let marriage be their major concern. Happiness or sadness or wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. Those in frequent contact with the things of the world should make good use of them without becoming attached to them, for this world and all it contains will pass away. In everything you do, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. But a married man can't do that so well. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married, or has never been married, can be more devoted to the Lord in body and in spirit, while the married woman must be concerned about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best, with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks he ought to marry his fiancée because he has trouble controlling his passions, and time is passing, it is all right. It is not a sin. Let them marry. But if he has decided firmly not to marry, and there is no urgency, and he can control his passion— he does well not to marry. So the person who marries does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is married to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry whomever she wishes, but this must be a marriage acceptable to the Lord. But in my opinion, it will be better for her if she doesn't marry again, and I think I am giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. The human soul is so bent that we don't want the actual God of the universe. We want a God of our own design. When we are half-hearted about the things of God, the pressures and the brokenness of the world will more than likely eventually render us 
no hearted about the things of the Lord. It's our turn to be valiant. It's our turn to be prayerful. It's our turn uh, to make war against injustice. It's just our turn. And the people before us were faithful to the Lord and, and now it's our run. And I don't know how long our run lasts, but it's our turn. We're here. The world hadn't changed. Uh, it's just our turn to be filled with the Holy Spirit, informed by the word of God and to press into the darkness with calloused knees and calloused hands. Not just calloused knees and not just calloused hands, both, both. And so I thought we would look at King Uzziah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. The Bible tells us he finds Zechariah and he wants to be trained and he wants to be trained in something very specific and he wants to be trained in a fear of God. He wants to be trained in a fear of God. He wants to be trained in being able to see, savor, sit in, um, marinate in the greatness and majesty of God. He wants to feel small. Like what a countercultural pursuit for us. I want to feel small. I want to know there's something bigger and more powerful and more mighty than I am. I want to be smaller than I know I'm king of Judah, but king of Judah is nothing compared to king of the universe. I want to feel tiny. Train me in this. There are two kind of pieces, two kind of strengths that begin to be developed in the heart of someone who is growing, being trained in a fear of God, a fear of the Lord, the majesty of God, the size of God, the scope of his sovereignty and power creates two things in the hearts of those who are his, creates wisdom and knowledge. He knows I don't, I'm going to submit to that. And it creates courage. It creates courage because God is God and who could stay his hand, right? I mean, if I'm a child of the King, what do I, what have I to fear? If I've been purchased by his blood, if I'm a, an adopted son, if, my, if I'm an heir of, of the promise, if I inherit new heavens and new earth and I get uh, unfettered access to God, what have I to fear? Like, what could you do to me? Not like me? Kill me? What could you possibly take from me? See, you start to grow in confidence and you don't grow in confidence in you. See, the fear of the Lord doesn't produce confidence in you. In fact, it doesn't even produce confidence in your faith, but rather the object of your faith. Our confidence grows in that God is able. God is willing. God is at work. God will win. The ultimate victory belongs to the Lord, and our confidence begins to grow. And, and then one of the things that, that I, I, I want to fight for all, all the days that God gives me breath is this kind of weak notion that, that piety somehow equals passivity. You know, that if you're a pious man, a pious woman, that somehow equals kind of this uh, weird, quiet meekness where you just kind of cross your fingers and hope God will. And, and Because that's definitely not what we see in the Bible. In fact, pious men and women in the Bible are ferocious. And so Uzziah gets up off of his knees, uh, closes his Torah, filled with the word of God, 
blown away by the majesty of God, and he rejects passivity and he gets to work. Now, my, my hope is anchored in one place, and it is anchored in this truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ can penetrate any and every darkness and is the only hope any of us have around any of this. And so I, I refuse to lose hope in the midst of what appears to be madness. Because I know we win. I know we win, and I know one day all of this nonsense will vanish. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 11. This uh, penitential psalm grew out of David's experiences with the Lord after he had committed adultery and had tried to hide his sins. When you refuse to confess your sins, the Lord must deal with you to bring you to repentance. The longer you wait, the more miserable you'll be, as you can see in David's experience. You must face the following. The debt against you God sees what you do, and he keeps a record of it. David had covered his sins on earth, but he could not cover the record in heaven. When we confess, however, God wipes the record clean. And you must face the pain within you. Sin affects the body. And God's disciplines are painful but needful. David became like an old man carrying a heavy burden. You'll have to face the flood around you. God uses difficult circumstances to bring you back to Himself. In fact, because of his sins, David went through many deep waters with his family. And then you'll have to face the road before you. David was like a stubborn animal that needed to be broken. When you're out of the will of God, your decisions will often create problems instead of solve them. The way actually gets harder. David went from a silence to singing because he finally was honest with God and confessed his sins. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 11, a psalm of David. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly confess their rebellion to you while there is time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey Him.
Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Proverbs 21, verses 5 through 7. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Wealth created by lying is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. Because the wicked refuse to do what is just, their violence boomerangs and destroys them.